With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to episode 82 of the Talking Friars podcast. Ben Fadden here. Uh, today, talking to you on this Christmas week about the Padres coaching staff. Again, obviously with the you know Major League Baseball lockout, there's not a whole lot uh, to talk about. You know, the players can't speak to the coaches. Coaches can't speak to the players. Just the organization as a whole can't really communicate. So there's literally no news, Major League Baseball-wise, you know, except for a few minor league deals. Uh, Buck Showalter having his, you know, introductory press conference with the Mets as the new manager there. Um, So the only real news that the Padres can have uh, is the coaching staff. And so that's what we're kind of here to talk about today. And then we'll finish it off with my number one wish on my Christmas Padres wish list uh, for the rest of this offseason when the lockout uh, concludes. But I want to start with the coaching staff. This past week, the coaching staff uh, was announced, the full coaching staff. It had kind of been leaked, most of the names. Obviously, Bob Melvin was official, you know, with the manager press conference and all that. Uh, Ruben Niebla, obviously, but there's been some, there was more names leaked, uh, and the Padres officially announced all those names at a press conference about it, uh, this week. And so I want to discuss that, kind of give you more background on what those guys are, who they are, their backgrounds and all that, because it wasn't really, it's not totally known who these guys are to the, you know, just the casual everyday fan that, or the, just the casual fan that doesn't follow the team every day. Uh, So that's kind of what I want to get into today. Uh, So to start out, again, the announcement, the Padres coaching staff announced Bob Melvin is the manager, obviously, you know, uh, was with a decade with the Oakland A's. I I mean, my number one 
you know, what I wanted, you know, with this, you know, whole manager search going in was, you know, Bruce Bochy was kind of like that far out, you know, not going to get him name. Uh, but I think that Bob Melvin is like, he might even be better than Bruce Bochy. I know Bruce Bochy's a Hall of Fame manager and Bob Melvin isn't yet. Uh, but inter- I think that, you know, Bruce Bochy has been out of the game for a few years. Well, Bob Melvin, he would, was leading the Oakland A's with who has limited resources, not as much talent as the Padres do on paper, to the postseason year in, year out. He's, you know, heavily involved with analytics in that front office in Oakland. And he, so he can transition over to San Diego and be a good fit there. He's going to get he's going to have a better roster because they just have more money to spend than what Oakland had. So if he can succeed, get the A's to the playoffs year in and year out in Oakland, I think he can do that with the Padres with a better roster. And it's and for me, yeah, it's, you know, I know most Padre fans might want to be glass half empty, but you can't. I'm sorry. I just can't say that. I can't realistically say that all those injuries, every all that bad stuff that happened last year, I can't say that that's going to happen again this year. I'm not going to I can't say that Tatis is going to have that many days hurt, you know, not in the lineup last as he did last year. I'm not going to say I just not I'm just I'm reluctant to say it with Bob Moen as the manager. And this is a good thing that there's going to be another clubhouse blow up like there was last year with Tingler as the manager. I can't say that again, the Padres, you know, rotation is going to be, there's only going to be one starting pitcher who's healthy the whole year. I just don't see that happening again. So I think that Bob Mellon's in a really good spot that this team on paper will be able to make the postseason next year and live up to the expectations to some degree. Unlike last year, last year obviously was the totally total opposite. The Padres did not live up to expectations and they did not, obviously make the playoffs. So, but moving back to the coaching staff, Bob Melvin, obviously the coaching, uh, the manager uh, and his bench coach will be Ryan Christensen, hitting coach, Michael Bedar, pitching coach, as I discussed earlier, a little bit, Ruben Niebla comes over from Cleveland, third base coach, Matt Williams, first base coach, David, David Macias, uh, bullpen coach, Ben Fritz, catching coach, Francisco Cervelli, bullpen catcher, Roberto Andrade, Quality control coach, Ryan Flaherty. He was with uh, the coaching staff with Tingler. And game planning and coaching assistant, Peter Somerville. He was also with Tingler's coaching staff. And then Ben Fritz will also be in the bullpen. He was also with Jay Singler's coaching staff. He took over for Larry Rothschild as the interim pitching coach when Rothschild was fired after all the pitching injuries and the pitching struggles. But obviously that ended up, you know, not really working out. Injuries continue to happen. The pitching wasn't as wasn't great. Um, I think there were some stats where the pitching was actually worse uh, once Rothschild left. So it wasn't Rothschild being the scapegoat there. That didn't even work out. Obviously, Tingler ended up Tingler ended up losing his job anyway. Uh, but just I wanted to break down kind of this these announcements. Brian Price as well, former Reds manager. He was I thought he would probably fit as a good pitching coach. But they obviously want the younger route, wanted to communicate better with the Ryan Weathers and the Chris Paddocks and the Mackenzie Gores of the world, um, Adrian Morhone. Uh, so they're having Brian Price work in the with the front office. Uh, he's going to be a senior advisor to the coaching staff. Um, so that's 
put that, those are the names. Uh, just kind of breaking it down more because I know a lot of these names, maybe all these names, except a couple, a couple because they're former players that some fans, casual fans, just might not know. Uh, Ryan Christensen for Bob Melvin. Um, he spent he uh, under Bob Melvin, I should say. He served as his bench coach uh, in Oakland for the last few years. Um, so that's, I mean, you can't. Obviously, we don't know Ryan Christensen much, so no. If you hear anyone saying, "Oh, I don't like the Ryan Christensen hire," they could have done better. They could have brought in a Phil Nevin or something. You don't believe them because they don't know who Ryan Christensen is. We don't even know. Probably some A's fans don't even know really. I mean, they know more than us. But I think that Ryan Chris, you know, as a as a bench coach, you're not going to know a whole lot about him. He's not the one. That's speaking to the media twice a day for 162 games in a season, uh, you know, unless Bob Melvin gets ejected. But what I like about this hire is that he and Melvin obviously have a previous relationship. They have a bond. They know how to communicate well. They know uh, with each other. They know, obviously, how things go in terms of communication and strategy in games, what role Christensen needs. Uh, to fill for Melvin in terms of matchups, informing him on if this reliever comes into the game, what pinch hitters are we using, or vice versa. If the other team uses, uh, you know, Albert Pujols off the bench, what reliever are we using? Just stuff like that. Obviously, all the coaches, some most coaches will be involved in that process. But in turn, you know, pregame meetings, communication with Melvin, just they know their role. So there's not going to be any transition. And there's no need to say, oh, okay, if they're struggling early on, well, we just need more time with the coaching staff to gel. The rest of it maybe, uh, but in terms of Christensen and Melvin, there isn't going to be a need for that. So talk about a seamless transition. I got you. Got to love that uh, if you're a Padres fan. Hitting coach Michael Bradar. I want to got. I did want to go over that a little bit. Uh, coming over from the Giants, he was a hitting coordinator. He is really. Uh, he's more of a younger uh, of a younger age, so he like Ruben Niebla. Niebla came over from Cleveland. Both of them, the pitching coach and hitting coach, Bedar is the hitting coach, Niebla is the pitching coach. They're both younger, and I think that was definitely something that the Padres uh, wanted. I think that's probably something that Preller went into this hiring process uh, with that thought process of I want a younger, I want younger pitching and hitting coaches. Uh, because the older type didn't work, at least with Larry Rothschild. Now, Darren Balsley, that worked, right? That was better than what Rothschild produced. And I don't think there was any need to shake up the pitching coach position with Balsley, to be quite honest, unless there was something that we don't know about that happened, you know, internally, that there was just no reason to bring him back. But Balsley seemed like he knew what he was doing, and now he's not even in the organization. Um, the last time I checked. So, uh, but in terms of moving forward, I think that why, you know, they hire these guys, you know, maybe not too well-known names, Niebla from Cleveland. I think part of that was because there are a lot of Cleveland guys in this, you know, Padres pitching, uh, you know, roster, you know, you got Mike Clevenger um, coming over from uh, Cleveland I think that's a big thing, you know, being able to communicate with him because he can be an X factor for this rotation. He was hurt last year, obviously hurt at the end of 2020 when or after they acquired him, couldn't uh, throw that breaking ball in the postseason. 
So that pretty much ended the Padres' postseason hopes there in that NLDS against the Dodgers when he and Lamette went down. Um, but I think with Niebla's track record of developing guys, you know, Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber, Cal Quantrill, who came over from San Diego to Cleveland, Mike Clevenger, um, who else? Andrew Miller was a, who had success and changed how relievers are used in some ways. You know how Josh Hader's being used nowadays, and how your high, how your closer is just becoming a high leverage reliever instead of just are you know a, a specifically just closer you know type role. Um, so he's developed. He has a track record of developing guys. Carlos Carrasco is another one. Shane Bieber is another one. They just had who won the pitching triple crown in 2020, I think. There's just he has a track record of being able to communicate with the younger guys, being able to, to develop those guys, and I think that's crucial. And I think that's so that's a real reason. Same with the pitching or the hitting coach, excuse me, Michael Bedard coming over from San Francisco, being able to communicate. You're the younger age, you're younger uh, age than other guys that the Padres have hired in the past, and so I think. Bodar and Niebla can use that to their advantage to communicate with the younger players, maybe have better terminology in terms of the analytics, or it's just maybe just changing it up. You know, if the older guy didn't work, then I guess just try bringing in the younger guy, you know, someone who's just better versed maybe in analytics. I don't want to stereotype ages because, you know, Buck Showalter just hired with the Mets. He knows what he's doing. He worked at LB Network. He's he's generated a new thought process and a new, just a new, the way that he thinks and what his thoughts on analytics, he wishes he had, a, I heard in a radio interview he did, he wishes he had an analytics staff in Baltimore that they didn't have when he was there. So he's opened his mind. So I think older guys can open their mind too. Obviously, Bob Milman isn't the youngest manager in the league, and he uses analytics all the time in Oakland and is going to use it in San Diego. So I'm not, I don't want to stereotype ages, but I think Going with a younger guy, maybe that want maybe some of those hitters and the pitchers will you know uh, they'll be more attracted to them. I I don't know, but it it doesn't hurt to go in a younger direction, especially when you do have a veteran manager, veteran third base coach, which I'll get to, a veteran bench coach who have again have that relationship that they can bounce ideas off of. They're familiar with them, and so they know that hey, if this younger guy isn't doing it. They can, you know, steer them in the better, the right direction. So that's kind of my thoughts. Again, Berdar, uh, he was with San Francisco as a hitting coordinator and maybe a part of reason why they want to get Hosmer. If they don't trade Hosmer, they want to get him and Myers back on the right tracks as veterans, right? Berdar worked in San Francisco and for San Francisco. And guess what? Last year, Buster Posey had a, a great season before he retired. Uh, Brandon Bell, the career year. Brandon Crawford had some MVP votes. Those are all veterans who people thought in baseball that those guys were done, right? They thought that those guys were definitely on the back nine of their careers. And guess what? Brandon Crawford got an extension out of it. Brandon Belt got 19, the 19 million, a little less than $19 million qualifying offer out of it. So maybe appealing to that older, more veteran hitter is what the Padres found appealing in Berdar. Um, and I believe he uh, coached at Michigan a little bit. So he does have that experience as well, dealing with younger, much younger players. So just that overall uh, background complementing those two, that's probably appealing to Bob Melvin and, and the Padres. So obviously all of these, you can't really bang any of these coaching hires right now because we just don't know much about them. And really all that matters is 
does the team win, right? Does the offense step up and produce better numbers and drive in more runs than they did last year, right? Does the pitching staff stay healthier? Do they produce more? Does Blake Snell, can he contribute and pitch to hit the level that he pitched the you know, last month of the year before he got hurt with the groin injury? Can he do that the whole year? Can Mike Clevenger stay healthy and pitch well the whole year? Just those question marks like that. All that matters is the on-field results. So that's how we're going to judge the coaching staff at the end of the day. You know, so Berdar, Niebla, uh, hitting coach, pitching coach, respectively. Uh, moving to Matt Williams, third base coach. Uh, he was, again, that's another connection. So with the A's, he, Christensen, and Melvin, they were with the Oakland A's uh, those last few years there. Um, Matt Williams didn't really work out managing-wise. I believe he managed, tried managing in Japan or in Korea, one of the two. Um, that didn't really work out, but he went back to the A's uh, to manage with Melvin as a third-base coach. And I think that, you know, that's got to be a positive. Um, you know, the Padres missed Glenn Hoffman, and, you know, I, I don't want to – nothing – I don't want to – again, I don't want to, you know, bang Bobby Dickerson, but – he definitely contributed to that clubhouse, uh, you know, failure last year, if you will, for a better, you know, for a lack of a better term or saying, uh, you know, trying to talk to Tatis. Tatis obviously didn't want to listen to him. He was kind of more of a hardcore coach instead of, you know, a buddy buddy with the player. And maybe Matt Williams, as a former player, uh, as a former manager, you know, kind of knowing how players operate obviously he had success uh you know Marcus Semyon had success in Oakland obviously Matt Chap and Matt Olson you never hear of any clubhouse uh you know blow-ups with the A's you know in that coaching staff with Melvin and Christensen and uh and Williams so and Williams I think is something that I really like about this as well is that no one wants, but I don't really hear many people mentioning as well. They obviously mentioned the Oakland connection, like I mentioned, but the fact that he was a former manager as well, he managed that Bryce Harper, Washington Nationals team and with Jason Worth and Ryan Zimmerman in his prime to uh, the playoffs. Now, I know that they didn't win any playoff series, but I remember vividly them hanging in there with the Giants who ended up winning the World Series later that year, um, you know, in those 18 inning games in the playoffs. And so he has managing, he has playoff postseason experience. So I think that can only help the Padres uh, and help Bob Melvin. And obviously, like I mentioned, he, Christensen, Melvin, they all have how they, they have that process of how they do things the last few years. They've had that same process. So again, that's talk about that seamless transition, that seamless way of how they're going to run spring training, which is something that you no know, one talks about. You know, there's four ways that you manage a ball club, right? Spring training, regular season, September call-ups, and the postseason. And so they've done that for a few years now. So they know what they're doing. They know how they run up those different ways. So I, I think that's a big uh, plus for the Padres coaching staff that they do have some of that chemistry. Uh, so I really like that Matt Williams hire as a third base coach. and. I think he's, um, you know, nothing against Bobby Dickerson, but I really like, uh, I really like that Matt Williams hire as the third base coach, and um, I think that'll turn out well. You know, replacing Glenn Hoffman, who retired before 
uh, last season. David Macias, first base coach. This was an interesting one. He uh, coached at Vanderbilt. He recently went to uh, Eastern Carolina there working with the outfield, and he'll work with the outfield of the Padres. He, he's an interesting one. Obviously, you're not – like I mentioned, we can't say, oh, this was a bad hire or whatever. I liked Wayne Kirby. You know, I think players liked Wayne Kirby. He really helped out Tatis transition to the outfield. Uh, but I think Bob Melvin wanted his own guys and kind of a unique approach and all that. And so they went in a different direction. And David Masias, again, he's more of a younger, I think, connecting with that younger audience, right? He played minor league ball, I believe, at the Cubs. He has professional baseball playing experience, so there. Um, and I think taught being able to communicate with the younger players, right? The, the game's getting younger and younger. There, there's not, There's no, like, stereotypical, you have to flame five, six years in the minors before you get called up. That's not the way it is. You know, if you're ready, they're going to call you up because teams want to win. And competition's big. You know, it's getting better and better. And so they want to win. They want you in the big leagues if you can help contribute. So I think having a younger guy like that will help someone that's communicated with college players, players that, you know, are just of that younger age, younger mentality that are dealing with analytics at the college level. Uh, I think, and maybe... He can help transition them from minor leagues to the big leagues or from college ball to double A and help and with those conversations and spring training and all that. I think that could really help. Now, in terms of first base coach, I mean, obviously we can't really say anything about that because we just don't know who this guy is. And again, the results are going to be on the field. You know, you're not going to just look at David Macias one day and say, oh, no, this was a good hire. It's just going to be judged on wins and losses, going to be judged, I guess, if he's going to work with the outfield, how the outfield does, uh, how those, how the outfield, you know, fielding improves. That's just the way it is. It's going to be on by, based on on-field results. Um, so that's pretty much the way, you know, that's how it's going to be judged with all these guys. Again, Ben Fritz, bullpen coach, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, interim pitching coach, we kind of already know about him. Um, seems well-liked in the clubhouse. Obviously, he has to be well liked if he's staying from the Tingler to the Melbourne, you know, regime when uh, not many coaches stayed. Wayne Kirby's gone, Bobby Dickerson's gone, Rothschild's obviously gone, uh, uh, the hitting coach is gone, so um, not many people stayed. So obviously, he had to be liked by the players because we know that the pl- communicating with the players, interacting with the players is huge nowadays. You know, you're not just there. Um, you know, on the field, it's about so much more than that uh, before games, after games. So obviously he's well-liked, so you can't really say much about the Fritz, you know, Fritz staying when it is really just based on the players. So uh, you can't, you know, you can't say, oh, they shouldn't have kept him. Um, Francisco Cervelli is something interesting I wanted to touch on. Catching coach, uh, obviously playing the big leagues. Unfortunately, his, you know, playing career was shut cut short, excuse me, by, you know, concussions and all that, Um, you know, dealt with multiple, played with the Marlins to end his career, played with the Yankees a little bit, played with the Pirates most notably. So he has, you know, he has the experience of catching veterans, of catching younger guys, uh, especially with the Marlins that last year he was there because the Marlins obviously are a rebuilding team. They're going to have a lot of young guys. So being able to communicate there, Corey Alfaro, who was traded to the to the Padres, he was a teammate with Alfaro in Miami there, and I think that his experience 
he was a good catcher. You know, he's pretty good defensively. He was all right offensively. He's someone that obviously as a former player, you know, Rod Barajas, Barajas is good and all, but Cervelli, you know, had something that Barajas didn't, and that was playing experience really recently, like recent playing experience, almost like he's going to be almost like a player coach. Or like, I know he's not playing, but he, I, I hope you get my point. Like he was, he was playing really recently with Miami and now he's transitioning as a coach and he wants to be a manager one day. I think I remember him here saying that to the athletic a couple of years back. And so if he wants to do that, he's obviously serious about coaching. And so I, I, I think this is going to be a really good, you know, uh, at least teaching tool that the Padres can utilize in Cervelli for a Luis Camposano if he doesn't get dealt. You know, because if they want Camposano to be the catcher of the future, you know, in a young rookie contract, not having to pay him much, obviously with the power, they can refine his defensive skills, which is what needs a lot of work. Let's be honest. His approach at the plate looks better, which is good. Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, he has a strong arm. Uh, but the, just the defense, you know, commanding a pitching staff, uh, just communication, all of that I think can really improve. And Cervelli was one of the best at it. So hopefully, you know, fingers crossed if the Padres don't deal Camposano, you know, attach him to a Hosmer deal or something like that. Um, you know, hopefully this is a really good tool for the Padres. And even if they do deal him, to be quite honest, you know, veteran to veteran talk with Nola and uh, Caratini and Alfaro can only help. Um, now, I talked about it on a previous podcast, you know, on a trade that I wrote up on GaslandBall.com, kind of a hypothetical with Camposano and Hosmer going to the Red Sox uh, in a deal. Um, you know, that's not that's I haven't heard that mentioned anywhere. But obviously, I mentioned that because right now there's four catchers on the roster with Alfaro, Caratini, Nola and Camposano. And obviously, I don't feel like they're going to be carrying four catchers on the 26-man roster. Now, if the DH comes into play, maybe you use one of them as a DH, but all four of those guys aren't great. Or Camposano has the upside to be a great hitter, but all four right now, they're not consistently great hitters, so I don't think you'd use up a DH spot for that. So I think that the most likely scenario is a trade. So... That's why I mentioned, you know, if Camposano isn't dealt, that would be a great tool. Um, Herberto Andrade is the next one, the bullpen catcher. He has professional baseball playing experience as well. So I think that what's good is the Padres aren't hiring these, you know, young just players that don't have the experience. They they have playing experience and they know, obviously, you know, the modern day analytics and baseball conversations that go on so they're not just bringing in guys that uh you know have been out of the league for a while or they didn't play professionally so just having that advantage of being to have advice for young players that the Padres have whether that be in the farm system during spring training or in the bullpen during games obviously as the bullpen catcher that's not going to be a role that people are going to talk about you know, we're not going to talk about the bullpen catcher at any time during the season unless there's like an interview or something that comes up about it. But being able to communicate how pitchers are moving, how pitches, certain pitches are moving, obviously playing professionally, he probably came up and saw, 
you know, some pitchers that end up being successful in the major league level, how they how they prepare, how they pitch. Just giving feedback. He uh, he was a bullpen catcher with the Pittsburgh Pirates and their organization. So I think that having him, you know, obviously he has that experience of how you're going to do that during games. So I think that it's really big. I, obviously, I don't have any huge takeaways on this hiring because, it's again, it's a bullpen catcher. Like, what at the end of the day, what are we going to say about that? What is anyone going to say about that? Uh, but I think that what I can take away, one takeaway I can, you know, give to you about it is I think that it's a positive generally uh, with the coaching staff as a whole uh, because Bob Melvin and A.J. Preller are bringing in guys with big league experience, with experience communicating with older players, with younger players. He's, they brought in guys that have history with Bob Melvin. They they also brought in guys that don't have a history of Bob Melvin, but they have a history, um, you know, with other organizations and they can bring in things uh, in big league organizations like Michael Bredar and Ruben Niebla, and they can bring in things that they learn there from other pretty smart people like Terry Francona and stuff, uh, you know, and Gabe Kapler, Bruce Bochy, guys like that, or from things that he learned at Michigan, uh, like Bredar did. Um, they can bring those insights in and make the Potters coaching staff better. So uh, two more guys, Flaherty and Somerville, they were already with the Padres system. Flaherty, obviously, that this he's kind of an intriguing one. Uh, I can't – I'm not going to touch much on Somerville because it's just game planning and coaching assistant. Like uh, the, the coaching staff as a whole now in the analytics group is big on the, the coach planning. So – I don't know really how much of role Peter Somerville plays because I'm not in the clubhouse, not in that coaching staff meetings with the players and all that. But just in terms of Flaherty, I think that he's really liked in the Padres clubhouse. And I think it was a no brainer to keep him. Um, obviously, he wasn't the, the best major league player, but he was obviously there years and years and years. And he has that relationship with Manny Machado. Um, and he's played with some pretty good, successful guys that he can you know, bring those insights and his his experiences at the big league level and share with the younger guys and the older guys and the new coaches on the roster. And he's obviously a familiar face in the organization. And obviously he's a younger coach, obviously, because he's just came off playing um, in 2014. So he's recently, you know, he's been in the big leagues, uh, obviously with the coaching staff, he was with Tingler. So he has that experience being in San Diego, already having prior relationships with most of the players on the team um, and obviously being well-liked. I mean, like I mentioned, it's a player's league right now. Um, not the NBA. I'm not meaning like roster construction wise, although, you know, the Max Scherzer's of the world, Manny Machado's of the world, maybe they have a voice, um, you know, who they bring in on the roster. But uh, so I don't mean it's a player's league like that, but like super teams and all that. But I mean, like, being able to communicate with the players and the players liking you is such a huge thing because if they don't, as we kind of saw with that Bobby Dickerson, that can, uh, with the Bobby Dickerson situation last year, that can be a pretty big negative because uh, that can lead up to clubhouse disputes, clubhouse frustration. And that just, you know, that just starts a whole down spiral and really big negative effect on the Padres, you know, any big league team for that matter as a whole. So, you know, you know, keeping Flaherty a guy that obviously it seems like players like um, is huge. And I think that, you know, Flaherty, in terms of just the things that I saw in the dugout last year, you know, on camera, on TV, 
he was always moving around, talking with players, talking with coaches. So very involved is what are my takeaways from Flaherty. Uh, so I think, you know, in terms of the coaching staff as a whole, the takeaways, I really like the makeup of this coaching staff. Again, the familiar, familiarity Bob Melvin has brought in with Matt Williams as the third base coach and Christensen as the third, as the, excuse me, as the bench coach. I think that's huge. The seamless transition, the, those coaches can help fill in other coaches on how Melvin run, runs things. And it just it just helps the transition. And those are obviously good coaches. I'm not just saying that it's just a seamless transition with, of bad coaches. You know, they, they're good coaches as well. Matt Williams has had success in Oakland, former manager experience. And then you combine that with familiarity that they kept guys, right? The Ben Fritzes, the Ryan Flaherty's, the Peter Somervilles of the world. And then they brought in guys with recent playing experience, like a Francisco Cervelli, uh, you know, bringing in a Ruben Niebla. I mean, it wasn't playing experience recent, but recent experience having success in with a Cleveland organization that, you know, is known for developing really young stud pitchers, you know, dating back to, you know, the Corey Kluvers and who was traded, obviously, from San Diego. That was one of the trades that, you know, the Padres regret. Um, and then, you know, bring it more recently to Cal Quantrill, who pitched well, um, you know, with the Indians at the big league level last year. So I think that he, they, the Padres as a whole, whether it was Melvin making a, you know, having the last say on the choices or if it was Preller or if, you know, if it was 50-50, it was a, it's a good makeup of the staff. And what I want to leave you with in terms of the coaching staff and Bob Melvin kind of just reiterated, this is the first time I'm reading these quotes, but uh, Melvin kind of reiterated what I just said about the coaching staff. You know, he said at the press conference Monday, younger guys, veteran guys, new school mindsets, some traditional old school, you know, mindsets. I think it's a great balance. We took our time. We wanted to get it right in terms of the coaching hirings is what he's saying. At the end, I think we came up with some really good names and some really good fits for this staff. Yeah, just pretty much reiterating what I was saying there, just having a balance, creating a balance, perspectives, again, obviously, you know, familiarity and non-familiarity. But with that non-familiarity comes new voices and new guys that maybe can help this coaching staff improve and help the, the uh, you know, help the players obviously develop better. And that's what's the main thing about the coaching staff, strategy and getting these players to perform better. Um, so. You know, in terms of the holdovers, Melvin said there are some holdovers that have the continuity uh, and the resources of knowing our guys. Again, you know, like knowing the players, uh, you know, having those prior relationships that the players like them, you know, the flarities of the world. Uh, quote, we also have some new guys. I just think it's a really good mix. Again, that's that's what the main message is, really good mix of coaches. And so right now, obviously, it's unfair to judge the coaching staff as a whole. Because all that matters is what we see on the field. But in terms of the names, their backgrounds, the success that they've had, just the different uh, perspectives that they can be blended together, I think it's a good start um, to this kind of offseason. Obviously, adding with the player additions, um, you know, with the Luis Garcias of the world, the Robert Suarez's, the Jorge Alfaro's. Um, so, I think it's a good start to the offseason. And as we transition to the, what the rest of the offseason holds before we get out of here, um, 
um, this Christmas week, I think, you know, I wanted, you know, obviously Christmas week, I wanted to create kind of a Christmas wish list for the Padres after the lockout ends. And I think, you know, it's a short, I mean, maybe the off the front office says it's a long list, right? Uh, but I think that it's a pretty short list if you're, if you go into it from a broad sense in turn, you know, one power hitting outfield, two rotation depth. I know that, and I don't include the Nick Martinez signing yet because it's not official. So they'll, you know, check that box off the list. So it comes even shorter, really. Um, in terms of the rotation depth, it's really just keeping guys healthy, right? Next season, just, you know, maybe implementing new things that, should have been implemented earlier to keep these guys, the Clevengers, the Lamets, the Morahones, the Paddocks, the guys, the, the Weathers, the guys that got hurt, which was pretty much everyone keeping them healthy. I think that's the main thing. Cause if they, if most of them stay healthy, they have a really deep pitching staff. So I think that, you know, they, sh- they didn't bring Melanson back, but oh well, they brought in two relievers that have some upside and they throw upper 90s, right? You brought in Ray Kerr in that trade. Um, who can throw upper 90s, just the control, right? Just um, that trade, uh, he got, uh, Kerr came in uh, to San Diego from Seattle in that Adam Frazier deal earlier this offseason. So they've kind of shirted up the bullpen a little bit. They don't have, it's kind of like a 2020 or 2021 situation where they don't really have a firm grasp on who the closer is going to be, but that'll sort their thing, that, that'll sort out uh, during spring training or whatever. So, but I think they've kind of built more depth in the bullpen, more depth options in the minor league system. Uh, but, you know, if I could pick one thing on a Christmas wish list, it's getting a power hitting outfielder. I'd rather have Chris Bryant than Nick Cassianos. I was actually a big fan in over, I mean, actually, I might favor Bryant over this guy, but in terms of years, in terms of just where they at in their careers, uh, you know, the Padres' needs. Alessio Garcia was really a guy that I really started to fall in love with when I was, you know, researching him. I think, I mean, that was a brilliant, I think that would have been a brilliant signing. He obviously uh, chose Miami, uh, but I think that would have been a brilliant, brilliant signing. That obviously didn't happen. I thought they could have got him, you know, two, three years, uh, and it would have been cheaper than Castellanos, obviously, and Bryant. But now I think you got to turn your attention to Chris Bryant bring back Tommy Pham obviously on a short, you know, one year deal, um, you know, five million or something, uh, for a you know, on a outfield depth spot. Obviously a DH, that could obviously be the second thing on my wish list. Um obviously I'm not including, you know, training Hosmer, right? That's a big thing that we want to create more flexibility. So that might that maybe should be like number one, but I wanna be I wanna bring this Christmas wish list into a you know, it, from a perspective that we're bringing guys in, I'm not talking about bringing guys out. So I'd rather have Bryant. That would be my number one as of right now over Castellanos. Both are great hitters. Castellanos is obviously coming off a better year than Bryant, but I like, like AJ Preller, I like versatility. He can play third. He can play outfield, all three outfield positions. He's had uh, experience with that. He can probably play other infield positions because of the shifts that have been happening, shoot, Manny's like a right fielder half the time now. So that's another example of that. So I like Brian's versatility, hits for average most of the time. He has power. Uh, I know people want to bring up the power of Castellanos, but Bryant does have that. Just go look at his stats. 
uh, you know, excluding a couple years of his career where he's dealt with some injuries. Um, but I I know dealing with Scott Boris is a little bit of a hassle, uh, but I'd rather have Bryant over Castellanos. I just think that's a better bet defensively, versatility-wise. You can do more things with him. And both guys are going to be inserted in the middle of the lineup anyways. I think that Bryant could come at a cheaper price, to be quite honest, because he's not coming off of a, like a almost like a career year like Castellanos was with Cincinnati uh, last year. So that's been the episode. Again, episode 82. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone uh, who celebrates Merry, uh, who celebrates Christmas. Uh, any holiday you celebrate, hopefully this lockout ends. I don't, you know, soon. I don't anticipate it too, but, you know, keep fingers crossed. Um, I think that February 1st, again, is a date, you know, that's a long ways away, but that's a date to look at uh, for some urgency to start because it would be only a couple of weeks away from spring training. And if, you know, the Players Association wants spring training to start on time, that'd probably be a good thing to get that deal done sometime around February 1st so that teams have couple weeks to sign those players and get spring training rolling. Guys know where they're going, renting apartments, uh, you know, knowing where they're going to live, all that stuff. So I think February 1st is a date to watch. Thank you again for listening and watching this episode. We'll be back next week, hopefully with an interview or two. Uh, happy holidays. And until next time, let's go Padres.